0: This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I'm Molly Dyer. The original date of this podcast is May 20th, 2020. If you're listening, I hope you're safe, healthy, keeping entertained and staving off the cabin fever while staying at home during this quarantine. Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and coming soon to Pandora and iHeartRadio. It's also available right here on Anchor. Listen on your phone or on your laptop's web browser. Firstly, thank you to everyone who's been sharing this podcast and to all my listeners in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Ireland, Switzerland, Norway, Romania, New Zealand, and Australia. Thank you all so much. I see you, and I appreciate you taking time out of your life to listen to witchcraft off the beaten path. That's come as quite a surprise, a really very pleasant surprise. Secondly, if you're a follower of or are interested in the Greek pantheon or Hellenism, check out my friend Aaron Jones' podcast, Hiking Olympus. It's a podcast on practicing Greek polytheism as a way of life, myth retellings, and more right here on Anchor. Today's podcast is a touchy subject for many, including myself, but I feel like it's worth discussing. Today's topic is witches overcoming Christian guilt. Told ya. Touchy. Not all practitioners of witchcraft used to be Christian. I was certainly raised to be Christian, but not everybody was. Some were raised Jewish, and still others were raised Muslim, and countless other religions. But I'm willing to bet the vast majority of those listening right now grew up with one form or another of Christianity. Since that's what I experienced, that's what I'm going to talk about. Again, most of us, I would say, grew up with some sort of religion. There were the twice a year sort of Christians who only went to church services on Easter and Christmas. There were my Catholic friends whose parents took them to Mass every Sunday and they spent their Saturday nights at the CYO, mostly learning how to pick up boys and smoke, and whose grandmothers went to Mass every single morning before dawn. I had friends who didn't go to church and I was always so envious of those friends because they knew nothing about religion especially Christianity, and clearly didn't feel like they were missing anything in their lives. Nor did they feel like they were smothering under the weight of their guilt and shame. Not the way I was smothering. I loved spending the night with my friends whose parents didn't shove religion down their kids' throats. We were allowed to be kids. We could tell jokes and laugh and listen to music, watch movies and stay up late telling ghost stories and talking about boys. And then, when we were a bit older, talking to boys on the phone. All things that weren't allowed at my house. My parents raised me in a very Christian household. I don't just mean praying over every meal and going to church. I mean praying over every meal and going to church twice on Sundays, going to church every Wednesday night, and my parents hosting a Bible study at our house every Friday night of my life from the age of about 12 until right before I graduated high school. That's a whole lot of God. That's a whole lot of guilt. I grew up in an Assembly of God church. It was what was called spirit-filled, meaning there were people dancing in the aisles and, of course, speaking in tongues. Have you ever seen someone speaking in tongues? I remember seeing it for the first time, visiting our new church when I was about six years old, and laughing hysterically because I thought the guy was being funny. Why wasn't everybody else laughing? My mom was certainly not laughing, and I got a good yank on the arm closest to her, which I knew meant, knock it off. I stopped. But I didn't understand why nobody else thought that was funny. It was hilarious. It was ridiculous. My mom explained to me on the way home from that church service what was going on, to the best of her ability, and that it was called speaking in tongues. The name itself also needed an explanation. I got one, but it wasn't really enough to make me understand just what the fuck was actually going on. This was evidently something serious. Whatever. It was super funny. And the more we went to church, the more I was exposed to these people shouting gibberish and dancing like they were drunk. And everybody that wasn't dancing had their hands in the air like they just didn't care. For a kid, that was super weird. And I was expected not only to accept that behavior unquestioning, but also to display that same behavior, only I really didn't want to. I didn't feel it. It felt really forced and fake. I was told by my mom and by my youth minister when I was around 12 that if you're having a hard time getting in the spirit, then just close your eyes and raise your hands with your palms up. I legit expected for there to be some sort of energy beam, like a laser. (sighs) that shot down from the ceiling into my hands and filled me with Jesus. I know that sounds really stupid. That's pretty much, at least in a roundabout way, what I was told to expect. Sands the laser beams. That's how Jesus was going to enter my spirit. And no matter how many times I did it, stood there feeling like some sort of chomp with my stupid hands in the air, just waiting on Jesus, I never felt what everyone else looked like they felt. Some of them were crying tears of joy. They were swaying with the droning music of the worship team. They were mouthing and even vocalizing their own gibberish forms of speaking in tongues. What the fuck, where was mine? Mine never came. Whatever all those others were feeling and experiencing, I was incapable of channeling that sort of Christian joy. I was not a fertile conduit for the Holy Spirit. When I talked to my pastor about that, those were the words he used, not a fertile conduit for the Holy Spirit. And if that wasn't bad enough to hear, the reason I was such a shitty conduit was sin. I was a giant sinner. I was full of sin, brimming with sin. Sin was keeping me from being able to feel all that love of Jesus. And keeping me from dancing and i would also imagine keeping me from that hilarious speaking in tongues which was actually fine by me sin i was 12 years old how much sinning could i have been doing did i cheat on my homework yeah probably did i steal Well, I don't think I did. It was a long time ago, but I'm not a good liar now, and I was never a good thief, so I'm not sure what the fuck all the sin was. I wasn't even a chronic masturbator. I didn't take the Lord's name in vain because I was afraid of going to hell for that. I was afraid of going to hell for everything. I was a big fat sinner, and the Holy Spirit did not find me worthy to inhabit. And that's pretty fucked up. But you know who was worthy to inhabit? The heroin addicted keyboard player in the worship team that molested me one night after Sunday evening services. He was worthy. I wasn't. I must have been some complete pile of shit. That's the way it made me feel. And after the keyboard player in the worship team who molested me died of a heroin overdose, our pastor went on and on about how he was in heaven now with the Father because he'd been such a virtuous man and a faithful Christian. Motherfucker. Sometime around 16 or so, I started feeling like maybe I was figuring things out, and that maybe these people who seemed so happy were just putting it on. I knew our pastor and his wife had been fighting for years because he'd been unfaithful to her. She used to babysit me when I was several years younger, and I heard a lot of shit that went on in their house, to include him the man who would be my pastor in just a few years, coming home around 6.30 a.m. after my mom had already dropped me off at their house around 5.30 a.m. for her early shift. I feigned being asleep as my future pastor's wife, who I'll call Deborah, lit into him for staying out all night long. And I was listening as he shoved her across the room and into the breakfast table for accusing him of philandering in probably the most biblical way possible. She shouted at him, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. That's Psalm 143, verse 8, in case you're playing along. I didn't remember it verbatim like that, but I've spent a lot of years thinking about that morning, and after the advent of the internet, searched for scripture about the morning bringing me word of your love, which was the part that I remembered from that. That's all I needed to find Psalm 143, verse 8. I remember he moved out for a time, but he would still come to the house in the mornings when I was there, before work, to see his kids. Deborah would have coffee and an illicit cigarette that he certainly did not approve of in the living room while he was spending his time with his kids in the front sitting room near the front door. When my mom picked me up later in the day, she and Deborah would talk about whatever shitty thing it was that he had said to her in the morning, and my mother would commiserate with her for a while, like a friend does, and then we'd leave. And no matter how many times I asked my mom during our rides home about the dynamics of just what was going on in that house, she'd shut me down and tell me it was none of my business. And in fairness, it wasn't. Eventually, he moved back in with Deborah and their small kids, and he became our pastor a few short years later and used to preach at everybody about your biblical obligation of fidelity and faithfulness to God and to your spouse in that order. And it felt exactly like it sounds like it would feel. It felt fake, and now I was babysitting, for them, their two younger children, and it was still going on. What a fucking hypocrite, and yet I was a sinner. I was unworthy. Am I telling you all this for the sake of lascivious gossip? No, I'm not. It's for context about why I felt the way I felt, and the Christian guilt and shame that was piled on me for years for not being a good enough Christian. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Holy Spirit wouldn't even visit me. I was an infertile conduit. That is some bullshit to heap onto a kid. To heap onto anybody, really. But a kid, come on. If you listened to no such thing as bad publicity, you've heard that I came to paganism when I was 17 years old. A light went on then. A bright light. A light that shone brighter than the church ever did for me. Something finally made sense. And there was no rejection from any spirits involved. But I'm not going to tell you that story right now. It's on my first podcast, episode one, if you want to hear it. The reason I bring that up at all is that when I started figuring all this shit out, it was after all those years of the feelings of inferiority, the feelings of not being holy enough or being too much of a sinner, being completely unsavable, the feelings that I would never be a fertile conduit for the Holy Spirit, and the constant guilt and fear that I wouldn't go to heaven when I died. Or worse yet, I'd be left behind in the rapture, which, thanks to the church and my mom and my own guilt-ridden, terrified brain, I was convinced was coming any day when I was between the ages of about seven until around 14. That is sincerely traumatizing to a child. And even to a teenager, actual, real, legitimate trauma I saw a therapist for years for rapture PTSD because you know what? It's a fucking thing. My mom raised me the best she could as a single parent. We moved to a new apartment when I was five years old, and there was a bathroom with a bathtub in the front of the apartment where company would go, and a stand up shower in the master bedroom's ensuite bathroom. I thought that was super fancy. And my mom decided it was about time I learned how to shower all by myself instead of playing in the bathtub, taking a bath. The thought of that felt very grown up to me. My mom set me up in the shower with the shampoo. It was, gee, your hair smells terrific, by the way, just in case you want to know. A bar of soap and a washcloth. She turned on the water, made sure the temperature was comfortable for me. And after making sure I was okay, she closed the door. I was singing in the shower like a grown-up, like the people in the shampoo commercials on TV. It almost felt glamorous. I was lathering up my hair when I got soap in my eyes and didn't know what to do. After a few seconds, I kind of started to panic, unable to make my eyes stop stinging, and I called out for my mom. She didn't come. I called louder again and still nothing. I started screaming, Mommy! over and over, like any kid would do. I kept trying to get the soap out of my eyes, unsuccessfully, because it kept running back into my eyes from my lathered-up soapy hair. I didn't know how to work showers just yet. It was my very first time. I called out another time for my mom, when it dawned on me. This was it. The rapture had come. And I had missed it, because I was so filled with sin. I shit you not, that was my very first thought as a five-year-old, whose mother didn't come to answer my screaming. I got out of the shower, and barely even able to see, ran through every room of our apartment, crying, looking for my mother. I was hysterical at this point, and was hitch-sobbing, where you can't breathe, but you can't quit crying, either. It's like crying hiccups. I actually looked for the clothes my mother had been wearing, laid out on the floor or on the sofa as if she'd been there and just disappeared and gone to heaven leaving her earthly clothing behind just like in all the bullshit religious tracts i'd seen warning me about the perils of sin and the wages of sin being death i found the front door cracked open just about a half an inch or so and i flung it open only to see my mom outside sitting on the staircase that led to the upstairs apartment just smoking a cigarette I ran out to her, screaming, naked, covered in soap, my eyes stinging from the shampoo, and now the tears of hysterical fear. We went inside, and after a while, she was able to calm me down enough to tell her what had happened, while she held me wrapped up in a towel, crying. And 40-something years later, I can still feel twinges of the horror that I felt that day. I'm over it now. The horror, but I'll never forget it. And that wasn't the only time something like that happened. That's what I mean by rapture PTSD. It's real. And it's horrific. People who didn't grow up in that sort of toxic environment, and yeah, it's toxic, probably won't understand what it feels like to be constantly terrified that the rapture is coming Probably later on that day, and you looked at somebody funny because of something they said to you. You sinned. So you pray and you beg, beg for forgiveness, but it just never seems like it's enough praying or begging, and you're going to go to hell. The Bible, and indeed Christianity, seems to have been designed to scare the fuck out of people just so they'll behave and obey the church. It seems that way, because it is that way. But this is not a theology history lesson. It's just me talking about the shame, guilt, and feelings of inadequacy the church instilled in me at an age before I could think critically enough to say, mm mm, fuck you, that's not true. I am valuable. I am so much more valuable than you're leading me to believe. And it took me a lot of years to be okay with things, with myself. Even with my newfound path, paganism, that told me at just about every turn how valuable I was. That guilt that was convincing me I was still going to hell for everything would creep in from time to time and try to chip away at my new, much more firm, much more solid foundation that told me all acts of love and pleasure should be my rituals. And that love and pleasure weren't just okay, but they were encouraged my new spirituality normalized sex with a partner or with multiple partners or just with myself. It was all okay. And that having feelings of lust or anger or jealousy were all normal and human. And I just had to train myself how I dealt with them. But those feelings wouldn't send me to some eternal inferno just for having them like humans do. It seemed completely natural to me in light of the things I experienced through organized Christianity as a child that I would grow up to be an atheist. I wasn't an atheist right away, but I have been for the last several years. And for me, that's what works the best. And for reasons that are pretty clear to me as well, that's the equation that makes the most sense in my life. If you worship deity, more power to you, no judgment here. Do what works best for you. If that's polytheism, awesome. If that's worshiping one God, awesome. And if that's worshiping one goddess, also awesome. Just don't allow yourself to be made to feel less than anybody or shamed or unworthy of any sort of love, no matter what religion it comes from, including Christianity. And for the love of all that is holy and unholy, don't allow that to happen to your children. My stepson has had the blessing of being born into and raised in a pagan household that offers him the freedom to search for whatever it is he feels is right for him. If he has questions, they are answered with an open mind and no judgment. He has been taught by all of us that love, kindness, compassion, truth, and respect for others are the most important traits to possess. I hope he never has to know the guilt and shame associated with things that can happen in the church. And I hope he spends his whole life knowing how valuable he is. And I hope you do too. I'm working on it. What was your childhood like regarding religion? Were you religious? Were you traumatized by Christianity? How did your religious upbringing affect or influence your witchcraft or pagan path? Hit the message button on the Anchor app or on the Anchor webpage on your web browser. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your story. I have some truly incredible guests scheduled for some awesome podcasts coming up soon on cultural appropriation in paganism and witchcraft, Luciferianism, Philema, rituals in Satanism, and much more. I'm super excited. There's a brand new podcast every Wednesday. And as always, if you have questions or comments about this or any other episode of this podcast, Or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future episode, just smash that message button on the Anchor app or on the Anchor webpage from your browser. You might hear yourself on an upcoming podcast. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I hope you never hunger, and I hope you never thirst. I'm Molly Dyer. This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path.